the word from tonight comes from Psalm chapter 38. If you'd open there. Let us pray. Lord, bless the reading of your word. May your truth prevail this evening. Amen. O Lord, rebuke me not in your anger, nor discipline me in your wrath. For your arrows have sunk into me, and your hand has come down on me. There is no soundness in my flesh because of your indignation. There is no health in my bones because of my sin. For my iniquities have gone over my head like a heavy burden, they are too heavy for me. My wounds stink and fester because of my foolishness. I am utterly bowed down and prostrate and prostrate. All the day I go about mourning. For my sides are filled with burning and there is no soundness in my flesh. I am feeble and crushed. I groan because of the tumult of my heart. O Lord, all my longing is before you. My sighing is not hidden from you. My heart throbs, my strength fails me, and the light of my eyes, it also has gone from me. My friends and companions stand aloof from my plague, and my nearest kin stand far off. Those who seek my life lay their snares. Those who seek my hurt speak of ruin and meditate treachery all day long. But I am like a deaf man, I do not hear, like a mute man who does not open his mouth. I have become like a man who does not hear, and in his mouth are no rebukes. But for you, O Lord, do I wait. It is you, O Lord my God, who will answer. For I said, only let them not rejoice over me who boast against me when my foot slips. For I am ready to fall and my pain is ever before me. I confess my iniquity. I am sorry for my sin. But my foes are vigorous. They are mighty. And many are those who hate me wrongfully. Those who render me evil for good accuse me because I follow after good. Do not forsake me, O Lord, O my God. Be not far from me. Make haste to help me, O Lord, my salvation. Thus far, God's word, let us pray. Lord, you know my sins, you know my weaknesses, you know even the flaws of my character, Lord. May these not be a hindrance to your word. May they not be a hindrance to the declaration of your truth this evening, Lord. I pray, amen. Psalm 38, I have titled it, The Pit of Despair. We have here in this psalm a first-hand example of someone who has felt the disciplining hand of God. The psalm is written as a response to God's discipline. As you can imagine, it is not something that can be taken lightly. There is a tormentedness to the psalm, if you will. There's an agony, a suffering, a dread. Hence, I went with the title, The Pit of Despair. The psalmist, in this case David, 
David readily acknowledges that this is of his own doing. He dug his own grave or he dug his own pit of despair. It is titled, not the sermon, now the psalm, it is titled, depending on your version, for the memorial offering or a psalm of remembrance. David begs God to remember him. And then at the end, from the bottom of this deep, dark pit of despair, he cries out, Do not forsake me, O Lord. O my God, be not far from me. Make haste to help me, O Lord, my salvation. Have you ever felt forgotten by God? Commentators struggle to agree on the exact point of David's life where he would have written the psalm. There are some who think it vague, perhaps a psalm written near the end of his life, perhaps with the added gift of hindsight as he looks back on his life and recounts his general struggle with sin and need for God. There are some who prefer to link it to a specific event. I am one of these, and as you can imagine, the affair with Bathsheba and the murder of Uriah is the prime suspect for such an event. That narrative can be found in 2 Samuel chapters 11 and 12. Just to briefly recount it, the affair takes place. David goes to great lengths to try and cover it up, even to the point of organizing Uriah's death. God sends Nathan the prophet to expose his sin. And one of the consequences is that the first son born with Bathsheba shall die of sickness. The son is born. In Samuel, it says, the Lord afflicted the child. It says, David sought God and fasted and lay all night on the ground. There were some who made efforts to comfort him, but he would not be comforted. And then on the seventh day, the son died. I speculate, like I said, we do not know when the psalm was written, but I cannot imagine a more vivid, more severe, more arresting consequence of sin than to watch one's son die before your eyes and know that you were the personal and direct cause of their death through your sin. It is speculation, but I see that intimate, personal agony in this psalm. O oh Lord, your arrows have sunk into me. Nonetheless, speculation aside, David appeals to God, almost as if to say, God, I have felt your anger, I have suffered your discipline, it is enough, I have learned my lesson. David saw God's discipline as both necessary and intentional, not just affliction and suffering and pain, but a road to redemption and restoration. In our studies, or even in school, at the beginning of the year, there's usually a study guide or a page in a textbook telling you, this is what you will learn this year. These are the intended outcomes for this year. If you pass, the outcomes have been completed. If you fail, then some of the outcomes were lacking. David appeals, almost bargains from his pit of despair, God, your discipline has had the intended outcome. Please save me. And so coming up on my first point, 
David goes through some of the outcomes that he thinks God intended. I think there are many that can be found in this psalm, but tonight we shall be considering only four. Firstly, David comes to understand the gravity of sin. Verses 1 to 3, O Lord, rebuke me not in your anger, nor discipline me in your wrath. For your arrows have sunk into me, and your hand has come down on me. There is no soundness in my flesh because of your indignation. Consider this. Who you offend or who you sin against, depending on who they are, you will get a different reaction. A few, as a fully grown adult, walk up to a child and call them silly names and hurt their feelings. They might tell their parents, but the child itself doesn't have the capacity to fight back. On the other hand, if you go to your nearest gym and you find one of these big buff guys and you call him silly names, there's probably going to be a different outcome. Think about it. Who you provoke to anger has a huge bearing on what sort of reaction you will get. David realizes this. He knows now who he sinned against. Yes, the affair with Bathsheba was sin. Murdering Uriah was sin, etc. But it was so much more than just, just an affair and murder. This was sin against a holy God. And so David begs, rebuke me not in your anger. Please do not discipline me in your wrath. I cannot handle it. You are God. I am man. You are holy. I am wretched. Please withhold your wrath. Because David knew, and I know, and you know, we cannot handle the full wrath of God. So I ask, do you understand the gravity of your sin? Secondly, David recognizes the need for accepting responsibility. Again and again in this chapter, you will see David accepts responsibility for his sin. Verse 3, there is no health in my bones because of my sin. Verse 4, for my iniquities have gone over my head. Like a heavy burden, they are too heavy for me. Verse 5, my wounds stink and fester because of my foolishness. Verse 16, let them not rejoice over me who boast against me when my foot slips. Verse 18, I confess my iniquity. I am sorry for my sin. He knows he was not tempted beyond his strength. He knows his sin was a choice. And so from his pit of despair, he goes to great lengths to communicate, to communicate God, I know my sin. Maybe before I tried to cover it up. Maybe before I made excuses. Maybe before I did not realize the severity or the depravity of my sin. But now I know my sin. You will find no excuses in me. I have no one left to point fingers at. This is my sin and my alone. David accepts responsibility for his sin. And so I ask, have you accepted responsibility for your sins? Thirdly, 
David learns that sin bears the fruit of pain and death. Verse 3, there is no soundness in my flesh. There is no health in my bones. Verse 4, like a heavy burden, my iniquities are too heavy for me. Verse 5, my wounds stink and fester. Verse 6, I am utterly bowed down and prostrate, prostrate. All the day I go about mourning. Verse 7, again, there is no soundness in my flesh. Verse 8, I am feeble and crushed. I groan because of the tumult of my heart. Verse 10, my heart throbs, my strength fails me, and the light of my eyes, it also has gone from me. The wages of sin is death. You can't plant an apple seed and expect an orange tree. Evil produces pain and death and suffering in both this life and the next. David now sees these practical outcomes of sin. This isn't hell he speaks of. That is its own outcome. But this is present life. David has learned the lesson that the fleeting pleasures of sin are an offense against God and their fruit is corruption and evil and sickness in his life, even unto his body and mind and soul. He suffers. Sin corrupts. Like a poisonous fruit, it tasted sweet in its time, but its aftertaste is bitter and its consequences are death. Do you know that the wages of sin are death? Or do you still think that good can come from evil? Fourthly, David is made aware that his sin has stained his witness. Verse 16 to 20, For I said, Only let them not rejoice over me who boast against me when my foot slips. For I am ready to fall and my pain is ever before me. I confess my iniquity. I am sorry for my sin. But my foes are vigorous. They are mighty. And many are those who hate me wrongfully. Those who render me evil for good accuse me because I follow after good. Have you ever been to a bad restaurant? Maybe the service was bad or someone who worked there was rude to you. Or maybe the food was just bad. Some people call the manager. I'm not one of those people. I think most people, most normal people, they just don't go back afterwards. If you try a new brand of chips or crisps and you don't like them, you don't buy it again. And personally, there's a specific stretch of road in Pretoria that I avoid at all costs because the police won't stop me there. David realizes that his sin gave his enemies ground to stand on. His sin stained his testimony, his witness. There are some who rejoice over him because his foot slipped. People who simply did not like the good that David stood for, now they can say confidently, why should I follow an adulterous, murderous king? If we claim to be of God, our sin not only hurts our reputation as Christians, but it gives the enemies of God the appearance of credibility. 
David pleads with God, yes, I have sinned, but still I follow after good. He appeals to the very nature of God. God, you are good. Please do not let evil triumph over good because of my sin. And so I ask, what does your witness look like today? Have you let sin stain your witness? Have you given the enemies of God credibility? Moving on to my second point, which is grace. There is grace to be found. And I find it necessary to emphasize this and make a point out of it because it is so easy to walk away from this psalm and all you get from it is, don't annoy God. If you annoy God, you will regret it. And then we develop this paranoia and you wake up one morning and your throat is a little sore and you have the sniffles and then you start asking yourself, what sin did I commit this week for God to afflict me with flu? And then rather than the father in the story of the prodigal son, rather than the father waiting patiently for his son and seeing him in the distance and running toward him and embracing him, Rather than that, we think of God as the Father who waits there, stick in hand, just waiting for his son to arrive so he can give him the disciplining of his life. That is not our God. The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. Psalm 103 verse 8. But still he disciplines which brings me to my first sub-point of grace. There is grace in discipline. Hebrews 12, verse 6 to 8. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every, every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline, in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. He will discipline those whom he loves, but he does so intentionally, with purpose, with restoration in mind. Think of a parent disciplining their child. Do they do it just to see their child cry? If that's the reason, then there's something wrong there. I'm worried about that family dynamic. No, no. They do it because they have the end goal in mind. The child will grow and mature. The child will learn. And so it is with God. And so it is in this psalm. It is by God's grace that David was convicted of his sin. It is by God's grace that David's sin had consequences to begin with. It is God's grace that David suffered and found himself weak and sickly and in despair. This is the grace of God. The alternative is to be handed over to our sin. By God's grace and love, but God's grace and love prevails. And we know this because we are disciplined by him. And he disciplines those he loves. But there is another my second sub-point of grace, the cross. There is another 
who endured the wrath of God. There is another who suffered God's anger. There is another who was pierced by God's arrows. But unlike the psalmist, unlike David, unlike you or I, he had no sin to confess. He had no deficiency in his view of God's holiness. In fact, he himself was holy. Yet he suffered. He bore our sin. And perhaps from his own pit of despair, he cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And so there is grace. It came at a high price. And although he died some 1,000 years after this psalm was written, perhaps in the biggest scheme of things, David in the psalm had a small, inadequate idea of what God's wrath would feel like when it was fully poured out on his own son. But grace endures. It is because of, that, it is because of the cross that we do not need to live in fear of God's full wrath. He will discipline us, but his anger towards his children is measured and weighed. <clears throat> Excuse me. It is measured and weighed by his love for them. And so I ask, are you a child of God? Do you live in this grace? So we have this pit of despair. We have the lessons that can be learned in God's disciplining us. We have grace. What can we say in conclusion? First, a warning. This psalm is the hard way. <clears throat> Excuse me, this psalm is the hard way. We are blessed to have this, the Word of God. It is relevant, it is applicable, it is in and of itself an act of grace. We would do well to learn from it. It is enough. If you insist on your own way, if you think you know better, if you want to live life outside of the Word of God, you will kindle the anger and the discipline of God. Do not take that lightly. Do not take your sin lightly. Look to God. Respect Him. Fear Him. Revere Him in the present. Flee from sin in the present. You do not need to learn your lessons the hard way as David did. You do not need to hold your sick, dying son in your arms to know who God is. Second, a word of encouragement or even comfort. I find comfort in this psalm. Imagine for a minute a Bible where this psalm doesn't exist. Imagine a Bible where Elijah doesn't ask God to take his life or where Jeremiah doesn't curse the day he was born or where the entire book of Job is absent or where Paul doesn't say he was under so much pressure that he despaired of life itself or a Bible where Jesus doesn't pray, Father, if you are willing, may this cup pass from me. I am comforted and I am encouraged and I am glad that in the same psalm that David says, your arrows have sunk deep into me, in the same psalm, from the bottom of the pit of despair, 
David cries out, Do not forsake me, O Lord, O my God. Be not far from me. Make haste to help me, O Lord, my salvation. There is a great irony when we take God's discipline or even suffering and we let those things mute our prayers. We let those things somehow convince us that God is less capable or that somehow he isn't sovereign anymore or maybe we even think we have the answers that God doesn't have. That's a lie. Every struggle, every difficulty, every sin, these are more reasons why you need God. And you need him desperately. Suffer with your eyes on God, as David did. He knew where his salvation lay. Third, and as I close, a little challenge. I know there are many sufferers among us. I know that the words in the psalm can so easily be applied to some of our lives. I know some of our hearts are throbbing. I know some of us feel weak and feeble and crushed. I know some of us may feel like God's arrows have sunk deep into us. I know. But I also know that for some of us, if we read verse 11, my friends and companions stand aloof from my plague and my nearest kin stand far off. I know that for some of us, that verse would be a lie. Because we choose to suffer alone. I see this in the church, and I do not understand it. Sometimes perhaps it is shame. Sometimes perhaps it is pride. But we can so often be architects of our own loneliness. We choose to keep quiet about our troubles. It seems easier that way. So let's all just put on a happy face and go to church and act like everything's okay. I'm not forcing despair upon you. If you walked in tonight and you've had the best week of your life, that's wonderful. I'm happy for you. But if you are suffering, or if you have been going through a particularly tough season, or if you feel like there's sin that is weighing heavy on you, or if you feel like the Lord has sunk his errors into you, find someone to pray with you. Walk up to someone after the service and ask them to pray with you. Be real. When you get home tonight, maybe call a friend, ask them to pray with you. Be real. This is my challenge to you. Don't suffer alone. Share your suffering. Learn to suffer in community. Let us pray. Lord, I do thank you for your word. Thank you for the psalm. I thank you that in the midst of discipline, in the midst of despair, David still set his eyes on you. He still knew where his salvation lay. May it be so even for us, Lord, as we suffer through this life. In your name I pray. Amen.